And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Unless there is a court intervention, Melissa Lucio will be executed one week uh, from today. Prosecutors say she's responsible for the 2007 death of her two-year-old daughter, who fell down a flight of stairs. Stairs. Now, during her time in jail, uh, Melissa has come to an active, uh, lively faith in Christ and has a deep relationship with him. Join me right now to talk about uh, this particular situation of uh, Melissa's, but also uh, help us understand a Catholic view of the world of justice uh, and this whole area of responsibility to the imprisoned. We've got Father Harry Dean. He was ordained in 1996 following a career in broadcast journalism. And in 2016, he was appointed to minister to the inmates of the major uh, prison that uh, unites uh, units in in Gainesville, Texas, where he continued to serve until this year. He has spent the last six years ministering to Melissa Lucio. Father, it's good to have you with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be uh, with you. Well, let's, let's, uh, if you could just give a thumbnail sketch of, you know, what the state is claiming against Melissa, that would bring listeners up to speed. Well, you pretty much already uh, said it. It's the death of her daughter and that uh, she has maintained her innocence uh, on that death uh, from the very beginning. Um, her uh, testimony or the uh, witness st- or the statement that she gave came after a very long and extended period of exhausted questioning. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the time that she gave a statement that said, okay, I did it, um, she had been sleep deprived, had not really had a, a good benefit at representation. And um, as a result of that, they took that conviction and ran with it. Yeah. But she's always maintained her innocence, always maintained that this was an accident, that it didn't happen by her hands. And um, we believe her. Yeah. I I did see the documentary by Sabrina Van Tassel, uh, The State of Texas versus Melissa, which I would urge people to see. Um, it It is um, it's, it's quite disturbing to see the system, uh, justice system in action here and the way that um, interrogation occurred, the way there was false and misleading evidence presented uh, at Melissa's trial. Um, Talk to me, if you can, you know, obviously uh, you have limits to what you can um, convey, uh, given that you've also been her confessor, no doubt. But uh, tell me a little bit about how she's come to deal with this. She is, I think, would be, to most people's view, in her personal presence, surprisingly calm and composed. But as uh, my colleague, Deacon Lostabika, who is her spiritual advisor and will be the one that accompanies her uh, to the execution chamber, if it comes to that, uh, has always maintained, and as I have found her, her center is on Jesus Christ. Hmm. And uh, her center is on uh, assessing her life as it was lived in those years, and now the uh, 18 that she's been, or 14 that she's been in prison, and um, seeing that, you know, the Lord is at the center of, of everything in her life and for her life. And I think her, her calm and, and her sense of, of centeredness just comes from she believes uh, the Lord is going to steer her through this, uh, whether she uh, has a change in both the sentence and the conviction or uh, in the punishment phase, or if they actually do take her life. 
It's uh, right now. It's scheduled for a week from today, I guess. Do you know if there's been uh, any change in that? Not in terms of anything that's come out in public, but I do know that a couple of motions have been filed by her attorneys that we have a lot of hope will get at least a stay of execution put into place. And one of those has to do with the way the state of Texas handles having spiritual advisors, as they call them, um, with uh, the person that is to be executed Mm -hmm. when they go into the execution chamber. And there's been some hiccups and disputes about that with past executions and So her attorneys have placed a a, a motion in based on that, and we'll just have to see if that does anything or not. Uh, We just we have a really good sense that that uh, there will be a stay, but um, again, until that actually happens, it's not real, and she is uh, to be executed a week from today. Yeah, yeah. There's a recent Supreme Court decision uh, dealing with this uh, question of uh, having a spiritual advisor or pastor uh, in the execution chamber. So I, I, would, I would imagine uh, that's part of, the, uh, part of the appeal, too. Um, has she had the support of her family through all this? Yes, and it's changed. I think like all of us, our family relationships change over time as uh, needed reconciliations come and go and— um, you know, she's got a large family. I'd say she's probably closer to some than others, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly they're behind her as a group. They're behind her. Uh, they they recognize what's going on here and what the truth of the situation was. And this is one of their kin. This is mom. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they don't want to see her uh, be put to death in this way. I'm sure it's been hard on many of them to, to watch her be in the state that she's in. Uh, being incarcerated in the women's death row in the state of Texas, uh, which is not a pleasant place and uh, certainly no place any of us would like to be on any given day. And uh, so, yes, uh, overall, I would say they have been quite supportive. Has Do you know, has she found it difficult to live out her discipleship uh, w- within this really difficult setting? How does she find that uh... Well, of all the negative things one could say about spending a lot of time in any state penitentiary, it is a very fruitful ground for people to be able to witness to Jesus Christ. And when you're in that kind of rarefied subsection of the prison system, which death row could be classified as, um, the fruitfulness is there even more so. And we have spent some wonderful liturgies uh, bringing people into the church in that uh, uh portion of the the unit where she is serving her time. Uh, There's some very talented ladies that are on death row that can sing and and bring their their witness to the faith through song, and uh, uh, we've had uh, our bishops in there a couple of times to celebrate sacraments of initiation, and and Melissa's always been a part of that, and and when she she came into the faith, and then she certainly uh, supports the other ladies that are Catholic and non-Catholic. I mean, she's just a, she's got a good heart. And she's just a very centered and calm person, which in a sort of uh, hectic and frenetic environment that that uh, area can be is a real blessing to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's uh, it's great to hear that she's able to be poised and grounded in, the, in her faith. There, do, do you know? Um, I mean, you have have you seen the documentary, The State of Texas versus Melissa? No, embarrassingly, I have not. I've <laughs> okay. seen excerpts on, on YouTube, uh, and everybody keeps saying, you got to watch yeah, this, you yeah. got to watch this, but I simply have not. 
I read a little bit of, of uh, the bio on Sabrina and also what's happened with her after having produced this document. And apparently this has had quite a profound effect on her personal life as well. Oh, really? Uh, can you share anything about that? Well, just from, from what uh, I've talked with my colleague, Deacon Ronnie, about it and, and all that, she has really taken a personal interest in Melissa beyond the fact that yeah. she was a subject of one of her documentaries. And you, know, you as a broadcaster, myself formerly, whenever you're immersed in a given story, you learn an awful lot about it before you just switch it off and, and move on to the right. next story. Yep. Um, in this case, I don't think the switch went off. Um, I think she has stayed uh, plugged in and uh, very much interested because of the way you so elegantly put it in, in the uh, earlier part of this interview, that the uh, the way that the system handled this just isn't the way that any of us would really want it to handle it. Well, and, and that's really troubling, um, even even beyond the the question of guilt or innocence. The the whole the, the you you have an uh, what appears to be an unethical district attorney looking for reelection. Um, You've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, questions of uh, Mariah, uh, uh, questions of uh, the Melissa's own uh, upbringing, and uh, you you have questions uh, of, of evidence that was excluded uh, from the trial, and her, her own attorney chose not to uh, use it apparently, and you you just say. Given given the the sloppiness and the holes in this case, it's it's hard to imagine uh, anybody feeling confident uh, that she's guilty. Never mind warranting execution. And I think it's a very troubling, very troubling situation uh, that we're well. It is, here. and you know, sloppiness and holes yep. should never be words that are applied to a death penalty case. <laughs> No, um, yeah. we really need to have that everybody on their A game yep. when you're talking about somebody's life. Yep. Um, and um, it just as you've spoken and as as the documentary apparently very well uh, outlines, that just didn't happen. Right. And um, it's a little conflicting for me. I, my dad's dad, my grandfather, was district attorney in a county in northern Texas for 30 something years. Yeah. And so growing up with that. And yet seeing the effects of prosecutors across the state, and certainly not all, I don't want to categorize everybody, but the whole dynamic of getting elected based on numbers of convictions really is something that can set a person up to maybe not use their their best moral judgment uh, on certain cases. Yeah, definitely a flaw. It's a flawed incentive. And um, uh, talk to me about the the bishops of Texas and how they... uh, how they respond to situations like this? Well, I think they respond really beautifully. Um, They respond with the truths of our faith. They keep putting those out there every time one of these executions come out, that that we are to treat everyone with the respect and dignity that Christ shows us on the cross by dying for us and and highlighting the value of every human person. And as the the bishops uh, document on this whole restorative justice um, reality says we believe that both victims and offenders are children of God. And despite their very different claims on society, their lives and dignity should be protected and respected. And so that's pretty much the message that our bishops give on on the proclamation side. And then on the action side, they go and visit these folks. 
You know, they get to go see him. Our bishop was just with Melissa today, Bishop Joe Bosquez of the Diocese of Austin. He was just oh. there today and uh, took communion to her and prayed with her. And, and uh, from what I understood from uh, Deacon Tim Hayden, who accompanied him, he's our director of restorative justice in this diocese, said it was a very good visit, very heartfelt. Very good. Father, can you stay with me a little longer? Sure, be happy. Very good. My guest is Father Harry Dean. Uh, He was ordained in 1996 uh, after a career in broadcast journalism. And uh, since 2016, he's been ministering to the inmates uh, at TDCJ Prison uh, in Gainesville, Texas. He has spent the last six years ministering to Melissa Lucio, who's on death row. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father Harry Dean. He's been uh, ministering to Melissa Lucio, uh, who was uh, convicted uh, for the 2007 death of her two-year-old daughter. And she's scheduled, uh, Melissa's scheduled to be executed on April 27th, one week from today. And uh, Father and others have been ministering to her. uh, The Bishop of Austin was with her this morning, administering the, the sacrament. And um, there's a documentary uh, available, uh, State of Texas versus Melissa, which I urge you to, to view. Uh, it's, it's a real eye-opener. Uh, Father, I wanted to ask you to just give us some idea. Phrases like restorative justice are used, and my guess is that a lot of people hearing that phrase don't really know what that means. What do the bishops mean by restorative justice? Well, and you're absolutely right about that, Al. Restorative justice, as I came to know, um, was a phrase that actually came during the years that I had served in that ministry, and we called it corrections ministry uh, for the first few years, and Mm. then uh, we were guided to begin to use the vocabulary of restorative justice. But then I also learned that a lot of other entities and, and groups are using that too, but we have our own uh, kind of framework as a Catholic church for, for what that means. And if you don't mind me just taking a little excerpt from the, the document itself that the bishops have put out their responsibility, rehabilitation and restoration, yeah, please. a Catholic perspective on crime and criminal justice. This says it way better than, than I could. We are guided by the paradoxical Catholic teaching on crime and punishment. What is that paradoxical Catholic teaching? We will not tolerate the crime and violence that threatens the lives and dignity of our sisters and brothers, and we will not give up on those who have lost their way. We seek both justice and mercy. We believe a Catholic ethic of responsibility, rehabilitation, and restoration can become the foundation for the necessary reform of our broken criminal justice system. That's mm. in the conclusion of the document. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is, it's, Socially, it's difficult um, to hold those two positions um, because yes, you, 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 if you if you show concern for the well-being of the perpetrator, you're accused of being soft on crime. <laughs> if you show that uh, you know you're you're overly concerned with the well-being uh, well-being of the uh, uh, of the victim, uh, then you are. You know, you are not sufficiently tending to uh, the perpetrator. Do you, 
it's as though in trying to be Christ to both victim and perpetrator, we are frequently torn apart uh, by criticisms of people. Do you find that difficult? Well, yes. I think, you know, we're all accustomed whenever you're in a forward operating position in, in any ministry in the life of the church, you're going to have a potential for people to criticize what you're doing and um, for not emphasizing uh, what they want emphasized instead of what you're trying yeah. to pour yourself into. Yeah. Uh, but it, that's definitely true in this as well. And what I've tried to do over time better than I did in the beginning, to be honest with you, is just slow myself down when I hear the criticism, try and understand where that other person is coming from, because the most vociferous uh, critics are probably going to have something personal in their life that crime touched them. Yeah. And crime is very personal. Yes. Whether it's a physical crime or it's property taken, people feel absolutely violated, intruded upon, can start to have a lot of things happen in, in their way of looking at the world around them where they don't feel safe anymore. And I think we got to pay heed to all that. It's what happens to the human person in the process of a crime being committed where we don't stop is just with that. We go on and say what happens to the human person after the crime is, is committed because there's layers of, of souls that are, are affected by this, including the perpetrator, yep. but also the perpetrator's family. Yes. And the people they leave behind once they get uh, justifiably put into an incarceration situation. Right. Right. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, how how do you restore shalom between all the parties here? Uh, and as you point out, it's it's even bigger than the, the quote victim and the perpetrator. Uh, and in our, I mean, I may be wrong here, but it seems to me that in the way our system works, crimes are committed against the state. Uh, technically speaking, they aren't committed against the person. Is that right? Well, I bet. It's different state to state. Okay. I do know in the state of Texas, and I'm not fully uh, versed in all this, there are certain crimes that once they're committed, and I want to say it's crimes, uh, physical crimes against persons, that becomes a crime against the state. And so even if the victim doesn't want to prosecute, there's no choice. There's going to be a prosecution. Mm -hmm. um, and I bet you that varies state to state. I'm just not that well versed in those yeah. things. Yeah. Um Let's talk about the death penalty itself. Uh, you know, throughout church history, the death penalty was uh, found to be uh, acceptable. Uh, you know, uh, the state had, if necessary, the state had recourse to the death penalty. Uh, what is the position of the church today? Is it that the death penalty is intrinsically immoral, or is it that the death penalty is simply no longer necessary? I think it's, it's uh, both little column A and little column B, um, is that it is no longer able to, to be seen as uh, something that can be uh, put into any kind of moral category, uh, and in part because um, we have effective ways to keep people incarcerated right. for the whole of their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, rendering it unnecessary means any appeal to it uh, would be gratuitous. Uh, it would be actually uh, an unjust act of violence, um, because we can handle, uh, justice can be satisfied in other ways. Uh, and uh, that penalty Correct. also and ends the possibility for repentance. 
and we want to stay away from becoming a people who long for vengeance. Right, right. And that's a dynamic that can be very much present when another person, when a person's life is lost at the hands of, an, of, of a, a person that, that took it, and the family that's left behind on the victim side can fall very easily yeah. into that invitation of, of uh, the evil one to seek vengeance yeah. and not leave that up to God. Yeah. And, we, and we've also learned so much more about how the system works uh, over the last generation. There's been a lot more attention paid to it and uh, shortcomings. And it just seems that prudence would say we don't want to inflict the ultimate earthly penalty on someone when we're not entirely confident that the process is uh, that the process has the necessary integrity. Uh, I mean, there's been I, I sat in fact I, the case of uh, uh, Randall Dale Adams uh, from the the. De- documentary uh, Thin Blue Line from many years ago after he was released from prison. I had him on the program and we talked about the circumstances of his arrest and then conviction and then his time on death row. And it was chilling uh, to hear of mistakes made along the way by those in authority. And uh, I think I think many people are beginning to lose confidence uh that our system has the kind of uh, 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 competence to ever come to a point of being able to take someone's life. And, um, yeah, I think it's—I think we're probably in a bit of a crisis here in the United States regarding our own criminal justice system— the trust level certainly would be part of that crisis. And yeah. I was doing remote preparation for this weekend for uh, Divine Mercy Sunday and the, uh, the phrase, Jesus, I trust in you, and, and considering all the ways in which trust is on such shaky grounds in so many institutions, including our church. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and where uh, folks after the pandemic so shaken by so many big changes in their lives are, are want to trust. Yeah. But... Um, that's where that phrase is so valuable. Uh, we can at least trust in the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Well, Father, thank you very much uh, for being with us. Uh, you, you certainly can count on the prayers of uh, our listeners here. One thing we know about our audience is that they are committed to prayer, and so we will be praying uh, for uh, Melissa and for uh, the decision makers uh, regarding her uh, her coming up. Uh, scheduled, uh, presently scheduled execution. So let me thank you very much for taking the time to be with me and for your ministry there. It's uh, reassuring to know that you're there. Thank you. Well, thank you, Al, and we appreciate all your prayers, and we just ask everybody to keep them going until we hear some good news. Very good. Thank you so much. Father Harry Dean, again, uh, was ordained in 1996. He spent the last six years ministering to Melissa Lucio, who we... uh, uh, again, I would urge you to just take a look at that documentary, uh, State of Texas versus Melissa. It's easily accessible uh, on YouTube. Uh, and it, it, again, shows 
that I, I was a strong – let me just say this so you know a little bit of my own background on this. I was a strong supporter of the death penalty for many years because it seemed to me Scripture uh, required it. I mean, the Old Testament has about 21 instances of what we call capital offenses or capital crimes. Uh, I should also mention, though, if you take the Old Testament uh, law code seriously, you also find out that um, executions cannot occur unless there's been certain um, – there are certain safeguards to make sure that in the Old Testament that the death penalty wasn't used unjustly. So uh, if you're going to be supportive of the death penalty in the United States on the grounds of Scripture, you ought to also be urging the state authorities in the United States to apply the mosaic uh, conditions uh, that have to be met before executions can occur. But a big turning point for me was to recognize that we don't have to uh, – there certainly are some crimes that seem to cry out for the uh, most terrible earthly punishment that we can give, right? There's a certain sense of proper retribution or proper justice here. At the same time, though, we also know that God himself doesn't uh, give us what we all deserve, uh, that he's made a way for us, uh, for our restoration our redemption. And there can never be any softening uh, of the law. One of the biggest problems we face in the United States right now is the backup in the courts so that the justice system has become a joke for people. Uh, there's, not, there's not swift um, justice given. So years and years and years go by before sentences come down, before appeals go on, and it, it, it's in need of great change. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but a Catholic perspective on crime and criminal justice seems to require that we uh, make sure that perpetrators get uh, tried in a relatively speedy way. Now, but once I realized that God himself, while permitting the death penalty, didn't always require the death penalty, that opens the door to lots of possibilities. And, of course, the U.S. bishops, actually John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Pope Francis, have consist- and the U.S. bishops have consistently been uh, saying, put the death penalty at least on hold. There should be a moratorium on it. That's the very least. We can talk more about this some other time. I'm Al Cresta.